What's going on, everyone? Welcome to a new episode of the Funboat Diplomacy podcast. Uh, it might seem like I just got back from my my trip to Denver and Austin, which I have to reiterate were amazing. Um, but I will be going uh, in this week, a couple days from now, uh, on the road again. More like in the air, because I'm not. I won't be. The majority of my time will be in the sky and not on the ground as I'm traveling. But anyway, I'll be flying out to Tucson, to Phoenix, and then getting to Tucson, Arizona, to visit the Southwest where all our favorite road movies are filmed. I have no idea what I'm going to see there. I don't really know what there is to do in Arizona, but hopefully there'll be cool things to see. I'm letting my uh, my friends lead the way, so to speak. Maybe we will hop the border over to Mexico? I don't know. I really don't know. Definitely we'll be partying down there, so if I have fans down there, that'd be cool. It'd be nice to see fans down there. Um, if you know things to do in Tucson, please let me know your recommendations. Um, on top of that, recently I saw um, Duncan Trussell. Um, he's one. He has one of my favorite podcasts, The Duncan Trussell Family Hour. He's a comedian who covers a lot of spirituality and, and has gone into many of the, uh, the writers and thinkers that I, I am fascinated with even right even now. Um, I'm reading uh, the book Still Here by Ram Dass, who um, he writes about change as as people age and uh, how one can come to terms with aging and dying. It's really fascinating. And I also just finished... Uh, well, no, actually, I finished reading the Bhagavad Gita back when I was in Santa Cruz. It was like a month ago. But I'm just finishing up uh, some analysis, and that'll be up on the Fumbo Diplomacy website. A little bit of analysis of the uh, the traditional Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita. It's really amazing stuff. You guys will check it out. But Duncan Trussell's uh, um, comedy show here at the Independent in San Francisco is really amazing. And if you guys want to explore that a bit, spirituality and comedy together in a very amazing little mix, uh, I really highly suggest taking a gander at the Duncan Trussell Family Hour podcast. It's really... Every week um, I get to listen to it. It's, it's really uplifting, and it's amazing to see uh, see him live here. Uh, and he really perfectly blends that comedy and spirituality. So yeah, check out. I got he gave you guys some homework this week, I guess, uh, which I guess is nice because um, I won't be releasing an episode this coming week. Well, maybe when I come back. When I come back, I'll see what I can do. I'll come back on Tuesday, which seems to be the release date of of things these days. It used to be Tuesday. It used to be, um, well, no. So, here, my, my podcast used to come out every Friday or Saturday, more or less. Uh, but then I lapsed because of, uh, me traveling a bit. Um, what I was referring to was back in the day, when you go to, like, Best Buy, new movies and video games and such would come out on Tuesdays. I don't know why it was Tuesdays, Tuesdays, and get new shipments and things. 
Anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. Let's just get right into these uh, the plugs for this week. So, if you guys use Amazon to get your guitar picks or toilet paper or floppy, I don't know, floppy disks. You know, don't use floppy disks anymore. Um, yeah, that's so obsolete. We just use the cloud now, don't we? Even even flash drives. Those are nice to like quickly switch between computers. But now we have AirDrop. And AirDrop is far superior to, to flash drives in that regard. But you can't steal documents from the NSA like Edward Snowden without a flash drive. You can't AirDrop it. Anyway, um, if you're buying things on Amazon, uh, if you could use my Amazon portal link located on funboatdiplomacy.com on the right-hand side of any of the pages, you'll find the link to my Amazon portal, and you can use that to shop as you normally would for any of the goods that you tend to buy. It's even better if it's habitual, like like the toilet paper, like I mentioned before. If it, every every couple months you get a new shipment of toilet paper, uh, I would get a kickback for that. So what happens is when you make a purchase on Amazon, Amazon, through this link, will give me a small kickback, a small percentage, to help me keep the podcast going. Um... Otherwise, if you would like to visit San Francisco in the next couple months, uh, I'll be here until mid-July or so, early mid-July or so. Um, come to the Pacific Tradewinds Hostel, make a booking. It would be great. You would be living with me. And um, you can get $3 off your reservation per night uh, by going on sanfranciscohostel.com and using the booking platform and using the offer code Wayman, Wayman's Friend 3 W-E-I-M-I-N-S-F-R-I-E-N-D-3 to get that $3 discount. Anyway, let's uh, jump into this week's episode now with Naima Zakaria. <laughs> Welcome to a new episode of the Fun Boat Diplomacy Podcast. I'm here today with Naima Zakaria. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to start today very differently from how we usually do it, because Naima has insisted, <laughs> well, suggested that we start with uh, a short guided meditation. Mm. And I'm all about it. Let's do it. So a little bit first about myself. As you know, my name is Naima Zakaria, and I have been traveling for the last 20 days around the world in uh, 10 different uh, locations. And I did this every morning, and it was very helpful to find the meaning of the day, uh, what was the main essence of the day. No matter where you are, you always are centered in yourself. So the guided meditation is to help you find treasures in your dreams, uh, in your sleeping mode, and also as you are awake, finding dreams uh, leading to what you most desire through other people or animals you meet or trees and streets that you encounter in your travels. So this is uh, a meditation based mainly on travel and reflection about travel. But you can use it at any point in time when you are feeling a little lost. I'm going to make a 
bell sound uh, and we will start the silent reflection meditation. Please close your eyes and imagine yourself centered in your being, which could be close to your heart chakra, close to your heart, and relax your body. If you can, put the feet on the ground if you are sitting on a chair. And breathe. Now above your head, a um, meter above your head, imagine a glow of light forming and descending to the crown of your head. The color is white, it's a light, and it grows in intensity around your skull. The shape of your skull becomes round, and the light is a protective layer around you. If you can imagine this ball of light right in the middle of your two eyes, which sometimes are referred to as the third chakra, or the third eye, not the third chakra, but the third eye. The third chakra would be your throat. So the third eye, which is this space in between your eyes that is linked with wisdom and insight, that connected to the light that I was referring to, a ball that is protecting, protective. And you can imagine this light glowing a little brighter, a little more brighter and making you feel calm and now we are going to use this light to descend to a space inside of us that we can go to whenever we want if we know the way. We have to create this way. So with me, slowly using this light, you'll see a door in front of you. It's a green door. And it has a crystal knob. I want you to reach in your mind, turn this knob to the right and push it open to the outside. Now you'll see in the distance a vista. It's a narrow hallway going down but you can see there is a light at the end and there's a garden there. We're not going to the garden this time, maybe another time, but we're going to take this flight of steps, circular steps, couple of flights down.
So with me now and the light, step your left foot on the first step down. And then the next foot. And in the next foot, we are going to go down 12 steps. And then the next foot. And remember, every time you step, you are breathing out. Breathing out. We are now on the eighth step. We have four more to go. Step. In the last three steps, give yourself a little moment to imagine what is it that you most desire. Do you want to find it? And what will you do? Will you be ready to take the three actions you need? If you do find it. Now step. Step. you're at a resting spot and here you can decide there are four doors one is blue one is red one is purple and one is color whatever you want on the other side of the door is a window, like a display window. It has a light shining down on an object. This time, you can open just one door. The same exercise you can repeat with the other doors and find whatever it is that you're looking for. I will give um, a direction on, on the podcast what the doors or the colors mean so you can have a little bit more guided when you do it what the colors mean next time you do it but this time go ahead and step forward six steps in whichever direction whichever door the door that is most calling to you there are four doors in front of you. A blue, a purple, a yellow, and a nondescript color. You can choose whatever color you want. So take six steps. 
meditate towards it, meaning step with intention. So move into this six steps, moving meditation, and go to your door. There is again a crystal knob. Turn this knob to the left. Coming full circle and locking in your intention that you do want to find what you most desire. Now please open the door towards you. Inside you see a brightly lit space with an object about four centimeters from you. Very close, you can touch it. There is no one to give it to you. It is there by itself. It has always been there for you. If you wish, you can go ahead and pick up that object and look at it. What is the color of this object? Can you open it? Does it have weight? Does it have any meaning? Once you spend a minute with this object, feel free to put it down. It's going to be there. Don't be scared. It will always be there for you. You can come back to it again and again. But I want you to notice what happens to you when you put down this desired object. Or a symbol of your desire when you put it down. Do you want to put it in your pocket and take it with you? Because you don't want to put it down? Is it difficult to put it down or is it easy? Can you leave it for a while and go do something else? I want you to put it down please and step away and notice the feelings, the sensations and the thoughts that arise in your being. I want you to close the door and turn the knob back to where you found it. And step back six steps. Turn around and breathe in and climb the stairs up. In your own time, when you're ready at the top, go through the door. You can enjoy the view of this faraway garden, but it's not there yet for you. Do the four doors and the garden will be there, like magic. You will be able to visit. And come back to your being that light that has been protecting you, showing you the way, is still there with you.
will always be there with you. You just have to call on it. When you feel yourself centered and loved, definitely loved, because without love, we are lost. And come back to the present moment, wherever you are. You can open your eyes, and we are back. Wow, you do that every morning? Just when I'm not sure what the day will bring. That's me a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a cool. lot of us a lot of the time. Yeah, that's very, very cool. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. Um, what did you learn? This. Uh... It's it's. Um, I was in Myanmar, in this uh, meditation, ten day, almost fasting because there's not that much that the monks eat, and. Um, it's a 10-day retreat, and it's open for everyone. Anyone can go there and visit and do the meditation, maybe for one, two days, if 10 days is too long. But when I was there, it, um, I was getting lost, just sitting around, not sure what I'm supposed to be actually doing. So I kind of made up this to center myself and find what is the day bringing because there was, uh, the monks were also doing moving meditation, and every step meant something, so I kind of incorporated part of what they were doing, what I saw them doing, and it just came being part of the community for a while, I think, yeah. But it's something that is very helpful, and I continue to do it, and go find more passages, or, yeah, it's a made-up world, but... I think it's fun to make up your own world. It's very cool. I felt like I was there. That's crazy. I'm like, that's crazy. Because I'm, it's a world that you made up, let's say. But I felt you could see at some it. point, some points, like I was like, I'm, I'm taking these steps. That's crazy. Very cool. It's like, you know, in San Francisco right now, we are in San Francisco right now, there's this big world with virtual reality, and uh, it's like a rage this year, mm -hmm. and it's a made-up world, but it is so real. So technology is coming close to these kind of mental, imaginary worlds, so before soon, I will be able to make this world and share it, and you can hear my voice. When you put on these VR goggles, you'll be able to, like, go down... I think these are really amazing tools for people who want to go deeper into their consciousness. And Have you tried it? Um, I have, but these are for gamers, you know. Yeah, it's very primitive. Yeah, it's very... At least, yeah, the one that's, very... at least the one that's commercially available. Right. It's, it's very basic. Right. Like but it's coming. It's, yes, it's coming, yes. so it's coming maybe this year. Mm -hmm. uh, now we can buy the first goggles. It's yeah. very expensive, but... I actually know. You mean the fans? wasn't it? It's a hundred. Uh, it's the one the Gear VRs you can have. You put your Samsung phone on it, so right. um, basically you're you're buying the shell, the the goggle, and then you, yeah, what, what 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 like the software hundred. is is is, right. uh, mm -hmm. is your Samsung um, phone, which I don't have, but it's beside the point that it's it's cheap, affordable for people to try it. And this very first step, 
of, uh, of VR. So these technologies are helpful, just not for gamers or for entertainment, but it's helpful for consciousness mm-hmm. yeah, to kind of leapfrog, because you may not be able to see what I'm actually saying, but I could be putting in textures and other... Um, and you could be putting the... Each one can customize their own... Uh, because the object that you're finding is um, a magical object and it could be informed by how you are in your everyday life. You know, I don't know, maybe some artificial intelligence puts in that object for you, but it could be a tool that you unlock something deeper that is hiding right now and you can't see it. Um, I just use it when I travel because every day it is um, not necessary for me, right? Because I know what I'm doing every day. But during travel, it's a more uh, a more freer. Um, you are in a different state of mind. And if we could take it to every day, that would be really wonderful. But it requires practice, I think. Mm-hmm. As all kinds of meditations, it yeah. requires practice. I'm not the best at it yeah there there are times where I'm better so here it is where you're wrong there is no way to do a perfect meditation because everything I'm not saying perfect I just don't do it enough but that's judging yourself and that's irrelevant because it's only for you so there is no judgment there because it's funny you know to to judge yourself about meditation because meditation is supposed to be this tool that frees you from judgment. Well, let's put it another way. I think I totally understand helpful. what you mean, <laughs> but I still push back at it because there's no point in saying that even to yourself. You're like, okay, so I'm at point two. I want to be at point ten. Okay, but we are competitive even about meditations. So even with ourselves. With ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. must evolve. But there's, there's, uh, when you were mentioning the, uh, the third eye, uh, do you? Do you know scientifically, like why, why now, what they're referring to now uh, as the third eye? Why did you tell us? The um, maybe it's been on the podcast. I I bring it up a lot because it's very interesting to me. Is um, the pineal gland of the brain? Mm-hmm. Alleged. I'm not a scientist, so mm-hmm. take this with. I, I I hear it from other sources that the pineal gland is what produces uh, a, a chemical called dimethyltryptamine Mm -hmm. and this chemical is released in small doses when when you're in REM sleep and uh, they think that this this chemical is what um, uh, produces dreams and uh, or whatever this dream state is that we don't quite understand 100% Mm -hmm. yet and uh, this this is produced by a lot of plants in the world different different levels by different plants uh, all kinds of uh, animal life as well and it it can also be extracted uh, and and consumed mm-hmm. uh, in, in like concentrated doses to to induce this kind of dream state or this uh, you you would be I guess conscious like you're conscious and then you go into the state mm-hmm. and explore some like other lucid state. dreaming almost. yes it could be yeah. something like that mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people report speaking to beings uh, mm-hmm. in a different dimension these are just the words that can cl- more closely approximate what they're experiencing mm-hmm. but um, it, it seems like something that 
is difficult to explain, to say the least. But the third eye being what we scientifically now, as a non-scientist, scientifically now are calling mm. uh, what is going on with the pineal gland. Mm. Uh, whenever, I don't know, when you're for sleeping, example, maybe maybe in, in meditation. Yeah, for meditation. Yeah. Lots of people who are meditating for a long time report certain experiences as they progress and go through the veil and kind of discover their truer nature and more true to themselves. Um, but, you know, as I get older, I get more questions. Um, I'm not sure if I'm ever close to what I really want to discover. Um, so I took on this journey uh, uh, 20 days ago to find out certain things, certain aspects like of time. Um, time feels sometimes very fast to me and sometimes very slow, sometimes very heavy, sometimes. So the aspect of time when you travel is basically you're going from city to city or part to part, either by bus or train or on a horse or however. So you are in movement. Um, it's one kind of experiencing time. And we have one planet, so when you go around the planet and you meet the different people experiencing their daily time, like daily life, and you're kind of this momentary uh, traveler passing through, you have a different uh, tangential experience than when you are stationary, like in I live in Oslo, like near Oslo, Norway, and when you are stationary and you're going through your work, you're waking up, you're going through, you are traveling throughout the day uh, a lot when you're working in your mind, you know, solving problems. But uh, when you travel and you see the different vegetation, it's a different kind of experience of time. So I wanted to explore time. And that actually helped me more with this meditation, these kind of meditation practices because you understand the worlds we create in our head actually create the worlds outside. So we should create very nice worlds inside, otherwise we are destroying the planet. So um, this is a thought that's very strong has been very strong with me. And five years ago I started like uh, trying to grow as much vegetables from this thought, trying to feed my own body, trying to keep animals. Um, so I get the eggs from my hands, and I treasure each egg, and the egg is like an idea. You think it's just an egg that's going to give you an omelette, but if you incubate that at 27 degrees for 21 days, out comes a chicken, a whole being that with its own personality. And So it's very interesting, like the touch with food and uh, relationship, what it does to... Uh, like vegetables also have personalities I think like certain plants will give you certain kind of leaves if you are a vegetarian that's very important to know so even if you have one plant and you have a relationship with that plant um, that is a different quality of eating than if you are buying it from the grocery store paying a lot of money it is worth it even with I think now I think if you live in cold climates to grow with artificial lights because you create that relationship with that plant. Maybe then you can outsource it to your friend who is doing it much better, but in the beginning to understand like what it is that your body needs, maybe it is still okay to spend that little energy and grow that four plants that give you a little bit food during the day, like some salads or something. So 
this this discoveries that goes happens just because you're traveling about yourself about um the problems that happen at airports like the strangest thing happened to me in um in um in one of the airports in China um you know simple things like what happens when the chinese authority there are only three airports that can give you this 24 hour a temporary visa uh but what happened or you can get 48 i heard or 72 but the week i landed was the um uh, the the all the head of china was meeting the political head in beijing so when i landed there they were only allowing a certain hours that you could be there uh within the country just to yeah whatever for whatever reason but the airline messes up and so you ca- i cannot leave so then i'm in this uh what do you call it um catch 22 i can't book a ticket because i don't have a visa that actually allows me to book my own ticket and the airline china eastern that i booked with don't have a flight uh within 72 hour like forget 24 they don't have a flight 72 hours and so it was a very interesting uh time when i had almost i have a passport but i have no um no sh- sh- uh, sure way of knowing if i'm going to be able to get out of china i could get stuck i could one um immigrant uh, immig- you know one of the officers to actually go up to him and say there's a problem here it's a six i should i'm going to be leaving on the 8th and he says well you never know you could end up in jail and so that was very funny i was like no i don't want to end up in jail this is ridiculous <laughs> i'm just a transit I, you and i in this yeah. in this interaction can solve this problem now <laughs> i'm just i'm just a transit passenger this yeah, is that's absurd no way my fault <laughs> you know so uh and he said well i can't do anything in uh, beijing you have to go to shanghai because that's where you know you are kind of where plan to go i said well if i go to shanghai i'm definitely not going to make this visa um the time limit there's 4 hours left i can leave from beijing and go out and then he says well if you do that you might have a problem you can never come back to china because you left from a airport you're not designated to leave from and in china there are rules so that so these things that you only discover when you are at the spot at the moment and not freaking out because I was like, hmm. <laughs> this could be really troublesome because I speak not a stitch of Chinese except saying thank you in Chinese and I'm saying thank you to everyone and not really um getting anywhere with this. So, mm-hmm. so um in the end what happened is I just had to stay calm. Um the storm blew when I was trying to um it was uh, they did reschedule the flight uh, on the 8th, but it was uh, quite a long uh time uh at the counter when they were trying to figure out what the what was going on and so so that's when i started meditating again because i was like hmm this is world this world is true it could be trouble i could end up in some chinese jail right now <laughs> for for no fault of my own um being a transit passenger or it could just be fine you know just just stay calm and not start yelling and screaming and crying <laughs> which at that point i really was like close to not sure because they had also misplaced luggage and we were unsure where the luggage was and i only had one piece of luggage so when i ended up in 
San Francisco, I was unsure if I was going to have any toothbrush or toothpaste or, you know, the little things that make a traveler's life okay and not stinky. So this, these things will happen, but as new travelers who want to understand the world, if, you, if we are like centered and create a world within ourselves, I think it gets easier as you do this more often. And the morning that I was leaving on the 8th, the funniest thing came up on the news that we, the United States and South Korea, South Korea was going on, um, uh, what do you call it, training? Exercise training. Exercise. exercise. And North Korea had gotten quite angry at that and threatened something like blow, they're going to blow up the White House. And, and this was like headline news. And here I was, you know, trying to travel at this time. I wasn't sure. And everyone was fine with because I guess it's not serious. But it was not the news. So this is the world we live in, you know, that people like to take off other people for whatever reason, diplomatic reason, resource reason, historical reasons. And for whatever other reasons, another group decides that this is not okay, you know. And if they have weapons, it can be quite destructive for destructive for everyone. But when you're in the heat of the moment, it might not fall on your consciousness that this could end up destroying the world if you start, you know, some fist fight over what? It's not clear. Like, what are actually the fight over? Uh, like, what what are we antagonizing North Korea over, and what is North Korea really so afraid of? Um, sounds like it is about their culture that they ha they want to or the group that is in power wants to keep the, their way of thinking about their worlds. It's all about saving each other's world um, and we are constantly invading each other's world in a way um, you know by travel and by because we're all connected through the web and uh, in China you can't obviously use any Google product or Facebook um, and many other products that we in, we in San Francisco would be lost without, right? The maps. How, how do you work without maps? Like, here we, we wouldn't know how to go from point A to point B. Is there a maps app in China? Do you know? Um, you know what? I think there are, but they're probably in Chinese. And I, okay. I, I haven't managed to, because none of the stores work. So if you have an Android phone, your store doesn't work. You have to know which Chinese store to go into. And you don't know if you go into a wrong store, if all your information is going to be compromised. Uh, compromised. And obviously, everyone uses proxy and um, other ways if you like want to keep any information safe. Because uh, it's known fact, seems like, that if you make any calls or any connection to the outside world from China your information will definitely be compromised. So, if that's a known fact, then... But as a traveler, you know, these were things that I should have set up, but there is no way to know how to set it up from outside. When you're at the situation, you have to try to figure it out. Sometimes you succeed and sometimes you don't. But it's part of this journey, and I think that's... Um, it's... Uh, interesting to think about this fabric right like we're constantly invading each other's space and sometimes some of us who have power take it to heart that this is not okay like this is too much cultural exchange so how much cultural exchange for example um uh, hollywood movies is a big no-no in china in some, some parts 
there is actually one channel that are allowed to show Hollywood movies, I think. Um, but I think there's censorship. It's not all stuff on the movie that you can yeah, see. Yeah, they take out stuff yeah, they don't think is take out appropriate. Right. So I learned a lot about part of being Chinese. I'm not Chinese, but like, why is it important to learn Chinese? I think it is important now because it's such a big demographic population in the world and if anyone wants to work on peace like at a bigger scale than just their own village or um, especially around climate that's my main focus right now working on this carbon pricing how much does how much all the stuff that I consume actually cost the planet uh, we call it footprint, but it's not really footprint, right? It's kind of like our weight print. <laughs> it's uh, how much we are weighing, polluting the air, like weighing down the air. Or you want to describe a bit your your project and why you've uh, come um, on this travel? First, I wanted to go to as many eco villages. I live in an eco village in Norway, and this is the first eco village. It took a while to actually move into this eco village, and I am um, by going through the. It started in '98. It's been a quite a long process, uh, and we live in a nice house. It is insulated well, so the product as a the house as a product kind of works. But it it's not an eco village yet. It could be. Um, it used to be eco village. Now it's not. Maybe it will be in the future. It's this kind of transition it's going through the whole project but being there it and buying a house there and then traveling to these other eco villages around the world like I was in uh, some places are in called eco villages but they function as one like there are four that I visited in Bangladesh that is functioning as an eco village with people living in village structures they have their own governance they have their own um, food structure and exchange and barter and um, and in Myanmar I visited a small clan and there it was a similar case but it's easier to do I think in warmer climates than in colder climates because of the energy requirements for the just for the houses houses and uh, construction have to be much more smarter than they are right now just not cookie cutter because now we have built cookie cutter houses in um, in the eco village where we live uh, one solution for everyone kind of situation but it doesn't it's not very smart so knowing what works and what doesn't different climates different growing conditions for vegetables and for animals um, I'm kind of forming a new idea what could be an eco village and an eco-village doesn't really have to be a place in the country. It can be any place in the city or it is actually these relationships. Like, for example, the hostel we are staying at, Pacific Trade Winds, that can be characterized as a temporary eco-village because we have each a small amount of space we consume for sleeping. Every area has a designated um, function. There's a community space, which is the most important thing. Uh, and there is a community kitchen. The one thing that is not happening yet is uh, community cooking, for example. But there are some community dinners. Uh, and those things are possible because people are at the state of mind where they are 
they have time and they have the willingness to do these things as they're traveling. Um, when you are living life, it becomes a little bit more difficult, I think, because with children and with schedules, work, and trying to get all the neighbors together to have dinners, it becomes quite near impossible. So, except if there is structure, like big kitchen, um, easy to do things, fair exchange, um, who's cooking, how is the shopping done, and all these other things. So there's many things eco-villages can do, and but the main important thing, I guess, the intention to live in a green way. What does that mean? What is green? I don't know. I don't know yet. What is, I mean, technically, scientifically, we know that um, if we continue in the state that we are, we are increasing the uh, sea level two millimeters every year, and that's quite significant for countries like Bangladesh, which is just not, not even a meter above sea level. So two millimeter you know, within the next 15 years, we're going to hit a point where it's going to be pretty close to underwater, half of it. So 15, 20, 30 years maybe, depending on geology, because geology is changing there too. Siltation, new island formation. So it's not, it's a delta, so it's not the same case as in the Netherlands, I believe which is already underwater, but they have built this uh, system, of system of dikes. It took 40 years, how many billions, and it's finished now. So it's uh, possible there because it's just a sea barrier, barrier to the sea. But in a delta, it doesn't work because if you close off with the dike system, all the fish will die first. The mixture of salt and uh, fresh water is very important, that brackish water. Um, so it's a more complicated solution ecologically and you have the mangroves so tiny tiny tributaries or how many dikes will you build like it's gonna take forever to close up that many tributaries so this is interesting thing about like I was uh, flight to um, from Dhaka going to um, uh, China uh, on my flight next to me was a guy from the meteorology department in Bangladesh who was in charge of the radar or some technical tool and he was lamenting the fact that um, a country like Bangladesh can't even manage to put up a small satellite uh, information that we really need, they really need uh, not just for weather projections or forecasting but for um, a lot of other important things like planning are there not so, enough satellites from other there countries? There are, but uh, the only way they can have access to it is by paying these uh, very expensive license fees. Yeah. And they have already paid, like, I don't know, he said 20 million or something to the Russians, and they're buying something from the Chinese. But that these are very ad hoc, and they only have one channel that any time, any moment, if there's any problem, it will be closed off that countries like these really need their own dedicated satellite just to be able to see what what is the change on the geological s scale. Um, and there's so much money that, you know, even from the U.S., um, people are putting into these countries, but it's like somewhere lost in translation, like uh, what is the priority? Like obviously the satellite is the most important thing. Like flying blind is not the way to fly a plane. 
So they're flying the future of the country pretty much blind. They can't see uh, at the resolution they need how to plan and to save the country's coastline, what is actually happening, having historical data. So these kind of things are very interesting for like a person who's very interested in what's happening with climate change or uh, first doing everything she can to low keep the emissions, her emissions low. But um, this flight, for example, around the world took a lot of car quite a lot of carbon and um, through there are UN programs that offsets it. So there's not really very good solutions yet. If you want to travel, how to make it, um, the solutions exist as projects. So basically what you're doing is if you use this many tons of carbon as you're flying, you buy credits from the gold standard, which, which I obviously did, uh, gold standard or other standards, and you support these projects. But it's not clear to me if these projects are actually working. The United Nations say they are because they have their list um, and if you buy from them you think that it is obviously working uh, but on the ground reality is for example in there's a lot of slash and burn uh, in from Indonesia to uh, Thailand for example there's a lot of forests that are supposedly protected but you're not sure uh, if they are I mean how do you know if they're not double counting. So there's some ways to know, but you as the consumer have to kind of really know how to look it up, right? Um, so these are some things that motivated the travel, motivated this 20-day quick journey, um, but um, I didn't get to managed to see as many eco-villages in China that I planned to see. Some of them are in quite remote areas and require like longer travel time, I think, than I allowed for. Even in San Francisco, I wanted to go see this, um, lot, there's lots of, there's a guy called Tree Rubenstein. He gives away food every Sunday as an amazing guy. He grows and gleans. There's a group of gleaners who go around uh, finding plum trees trees that have fruit that no one's picking and they pick the fruits and they bring it to the stand so that's quite uh, quite quite amazing because I heard I don't know if it's true there's about 6,000 homeless in San Francisco people who don't have a place to sleep or um, that could be a I mean obviously he's helping quite a lot of people who need fresh fruit um, and also vegetables um, and there are many characters like that, starting small community gardens and like urban bees. So I wanted to visit a lot of them, but this time I, I think I only managed to visit one this morning, and it was a small community garden in um, around Green Street, uh, but it's not as many as I wanted to see. I wanted to go to Slide Ranch, for example, but that's like all the way up. Uh, I need a car and I'm not going to rent a car and go there and insurance and all of this more I don't carbon. have the time yeah more carbon too but you know it's nice to keep these networks alive so uh, I take in woofers during the summer and I'm looking for woofers for my little place in Norway little vegetable patch um, but 
that would be nice to you know have the network if people wanted to go in the summertime they could learn about organic gardening and stay and have an amazing time and the nature is just astounding like Norway is known for its amazing nature so hiking and horseback riding and all of these other things that come with uh, living in the country is possible um, but well I didn't get to do enough um, maybe I'll have to come back another time and just uh, because two two days is not enough time to do all the visit as many as possible in San Francisco but San Francisco has this amazing population of flowering bushes that I found like amazing I don't know these are these trumpet flowers in have you ever seen them there are these trumpet flowers now um, magnolias uh, I didn't manage to go to the botanical garden. That's where I'm going to do tomorrow, probably. But the mo magnolia season is over. There's the big flowers, big trees with these huge magnolias. And there's a, a huge collection in the botanical garden that brings in people from all over the world just to see them. But the temperature was too warm. So they bloomed. Um, so I tried to time it for now, and it would have been perfect. But, but it, it was, was too It was too warm, so it was early, and it's yeah. finished. I saw, I saw them. Yeah. Uh, this was last month. More or less, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I saw them. I'm pretty sure I saw them, but I didn't know what I was seeing at the time. You know, I don't, I can't identify plants as well as you might, but uh, it was amazing to see uh, everything while well, everything was warm. Now it's it's raining now and colder. It's a shame, but yeah, hopefully you get to see something cool tomorrow. Well, it's raining, but it's really good for the vegetable growers. Yes. Yes. Because they need that rain, so I'm not really complaining. Because yeah. it's yeah, the aquifers are quite empty, and it's filling up tonight, and it has been filling up for the last week. So, it's a, it's a good thing. Yeah. It's okay. The tourists will complain, but so what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I complain because I can't go out to the parks or whatever. But then yeah. I, in my head, I have it stored. It's like this is I'm delaying the gratification. Later on, the parks are gonna be so much uh, more happy. Just yeah. happy plants. Yeah. So, uh, where, where do you move on to next? I'm going home tomorrow. Back to Bangladesh? No, I'm going back to Oslo. Oslo. Yeah. And um, the season starts, my chicks have hatched. They're about... Uh, my husband is taking care of all the babies, so he has quite a lot of work. But, um, yeah, so if anyone wants to see the chicks, they can find it on... I will... I'm on Periscope, Naima now. So, Naima now. It's like, what is it? I got this now thing from Eckhart Tolle. It's, he wrote a book called The Power of Now or something. Yeah. And after that, I just came up with Everything Was Now. So, That's good. Naima now. It's uh, one of my favorite books by. Yeah? I think, no, not this one that I haven't read is uh, Ramdas. I think it's Ramdas wrote it. It's uh, Be Here Now. Be Here Now. Yeah. Really amazing. Really amazing stuff. But we think about it like be here now. It's not so easy to be here all the time. Yeah. Because we are thinking about the future the and past. about the yeah. past. And it's not practical sometimes to always be here now. Because a lot of people who are yogis, um, you'll see like in yoga land, they, they make a differentiation if you are a um, householder or not. So if you're a householder, meaning that you have responsibilities, kids, families, da da da, da 
then they give you a lower st- lower level of having to reach be up here. to yeah, yeah because you got <laughs> other responsibilities you can't always be here now because everyone else will get mad at you like you're not paying attention to me not everyone's that's ego sen- is gonna be sensible yeah so it's sensible yeah. i mean the yoga sutras talk about household are you a householder okay then you do this 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 if you're not a householder and you really are in deep uh, yoga practice then you do like what is called yogi everyone calls themselves yogis these days but that word itself i feel like five percent of real yogis. has a has <laughs> has a meaning you know a meaning that means that you're not a householder which means that you don't have a marriage to look after you don't have kids to look after you don't have a business to look after you are a beggar like in bangladesh even now you and in india too and uh, some parts of other parts that I saw. Anyway, Buddhists all do this practice where you are just responsible for praying and meditating and people are responsible for bringing you food. The community feeds you because you are the yogi, right? You are the one carrying the uh, burden of keeping that realm as clear and clean as possible and in return you get sustenance for your body and that's a fair exchange in those cultures. But what we understand in these parts as yogi is more contortion and how fit you are or how, yeah. But I'm not criticizing that. That's also maybe important for marketing purposes in the beginning. But I guess at some point we have to wake up to the fact that like being here now is not that easy. It's actually a journey and... Um, you will have to shed some responsibilities because if you keep the responsibilities, then you're then not going to be here now. You're <laughs> not going to be here Long now. Short, yeah. yeah. Um, also, the word gurus, you know, like these the people use these words now and they don't mean what they. It's a it's a distortion of ori- original intent and also the practice itself. That's like, you know, I mean, you got you got people teaching uh, karate, for example, to these young kids in the suburbs of the United States who it's not real karate, and you're not learning any sort of uh, useful, um, practical, defensive um, maneuvers, let's say. So, But, I mean, I guess some of them have their own ben- benefits, like whatever you choose to call yoga these days, I don't know. I don't know. They... They they have these classes and whatever, and they have uh, this kind of yoga, that kind of yoga. I don't, I'm not an expert, but I feel like some of them are. I guess in in the society like U.S., you have to market in this way to make it understandable, right? Because it comes from a person, and they're thinking, and they can change it and invent. And San Francisco is all about that, right? Invention and uh, making it it your own interpretation, interpreting in your own. Um, and not the dogma and the, uh, in lots of parts of India even lots of parts yoga is not practiced right so maybe it would have benefited from I don't know I mean I'm I don't have any opinion about this because it whatever works right if it spreads in this way but then if the person goes for someone who just takes three classes a week as a fitness I think that marketing is fine, right? Because they are getting the benefit of hot yoga or other methods that get you to that space and 
distress. So that's useful for distressing, but there are many, many layers, right? If you go into a subtle body, then you do need to think about the deeper connotations of the words. So... If it's when they take this, uh, their version, and, and say this is, oh, this is the truth, whereas it's like, oh no, yours isn't the truth, now there's that one, now there's that one, what's whatever works for you. Right, so the truth, the truth is, so truth can set us free, but, um, the truth can, yeah, what is the truth? I mean, it's the reality of, there's lots of things true, like in Fiji, they eat people. That's true. It's true for them. I'm not sure if they eat people regularly, but it is known that it can happen. in ceremonies, people who are visiting have been offered human flesh. So there is a reality there somewhere. Uh, in certain parts of China and Vietnam, people eat dogs. That's their truth, either because of the explosion of dogs, population explosion, or for whatever reason... It works with their taste. I'm not sure. Uh, lots of things like food and practices, like how to keep the body fit, has been practiced. Well. Like in China, I met this uh, elderly gentleman whose eyes are failing. He's from San Francisco, had been working here for 35 years. Doesn't speak English as a native, but you can see that he's Americanized. Uh, he says things like he will keep he will have a sentence and in the middle of it he's a hot dang, heck yeah and then you will understand that he's American you know he's but he had a problem with his eyes and he couldn't trust that when he went to the doctor here in San Francisco they wanted to do these surgeries and he said I'm not so sure about that so he started doing this alternate practice that's practiced in his country he lived there for thirty five years. So, to actually take care of his eyes, he went back to Shanghai. How weird. I mean, what a commentary is that to the United States medical system? I'm that not... did the same with my wisdom teeth. Uh, the, the, the dentists in so America, there you go. they said, you need all, all four of them removed. Let's just, you know, let's, let's do this now. Let's schedule this. I'm like, wait, that's expensive. I turned to my dad. I was like, that's expensive, isn't it? He's like, yeah, it's expensive. So, it was cheaper for... Me, my dad, and my mom to fly to Tai Taipei, and, and do back, it there. and have the process done. And the the dentists in Taiwan, they go, yeah, those dentists in America are bullshitting you. We got the we got the X rays right here. This one's impacted, so we're gonna remove this one. These three are fine, mm. <laughs> and so so they 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 uh, they didn't even put me under. They they numbed my face and they're like, all right, we're gonna do it now. So I like I felt it all. Uh, didn't there didn't hurt. I just felt they're like, okay, we're gonna break your tooth now broke my tooth in and half and took it out, out and then that was it. Cheap, yeah. quick, right. did it in one afternoon. And uh, it's this whole process in the United States, uh, even as I know now, deceptive. So it's, I think, very interesting to see, like, when one travels, all these systems that humans, and then you come to realize that we have just invented these systems. And if something is not working, like, for example... We are polluting so much that we will not be able to breathe the air pretty soon, all of us. Like, they realize that in Shanghai and Beijing, so when you go there, you understand that, hey, I can't breathe. This is not air, this is just some filth that's going through my lungs. Um, and, But maybe there are inventions there, you know. 
maybe we come up with some filtration system with uh, with clothes that as we are walking through the street we're gonna start to clean I don't know. I mean, I start thinking about all these things that you see in science magazines that could come true at scale, and it should come true yesterday, pretty much, you know. Um, and so there... But when you travel, you start to imagine the world anew, and that's the hope. And that's what I just loved about this experience, that maybe I will not do it too many times because of the carbon footprint when you fly you do have a huge carbon footprint but um, it is something that you can do it there is this uh, other apps like Periscope I was talking about Periscope where you can drop in on people and like in Thailand um, there's a guy called Thai Thailand T-I-E land to Thailand and you can see how he he's an American living in um, a city in Thailand and he explains how, as an exper expatriate, anyone can make a transition um, and do it. And there's other people. There's a guy in South, uh, in South Africa. There's a guy in France, south of France, talking about his neighborhood. There's a guy who takes you on journeys on the rocky shores of England and eating mussels and showing you like what is there in his neighborhood um, so I don't know I just found I, I think there are there are dangers when you travel like the Chinese could have thrown me in jail for having this visa that's not right it didn't happen but it could happen it's true but you could also discover like I discovered jasmine tea for the first time um, I might have been drinking it before, but I didn't know what to where it came from, who the farmer was, and um, this time I was able to discover that this is actually really valued, prized uh, kind of uh, product that Chinese make with a lot of love. Um, and there's this thing, two things about huge consumables made in China, like we think about cheap Chinese-made things, but they're very expensive Chinese-made things also, like the pottery, you know, that you is the best um, uh, boneware, still out of China. Uh, there is an amazing heritage, right, like in Beijing you have these, um, right, you have a lot of these things that is for tourists, but um, there is a history there in Old Town, so, and it's a population of 1.23 billion people. Billion. 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 China in Beijing? Is in, no, 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 the, in whole, China. the whole of China. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say Beijing is like a few million. Yeah, years. it's a few yeah. million. It's like yes. about 10, 12. Something like that. Yeah. Between 10 and 20, but yeah. not up to 20. No, yeah. not yet. Yeah. Um, this brings it full circle to virtual reality, which I think you can use if you don't want to have a huge carbon impact one day you're gonna just be able to go in this virtual reality you'll be able to walk around and feel things um, and I've, I've had some, a guest on who was working on virtual reality and we, we, we got down to this idea that what if we um, are in it already mm -hmm. like we've Who's to say that we haven't figured out virtual reality and we're in the virtual reality? It's just so real that I can feel this glass 
I can feel the weight of this book, and I can interact with this 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 laptop here and this uh, this phone that we've created in this reality. It's a real idea. Yeah. Like, what if it's the true self we're seeking is actually that entity who is controlling the virtual part of what we are actually experiencing. How deep did we actually go there? Like, who is right? Who was so the first one? There was yeah. a movie about that. Oh, there's the a range of them. The Matrix, for example, is mm-hmm. one of these ideas. But yeah, um, we're coming up on our time, but that was really incredible. Um, thank you for being on. But I um, want to leave the audience with this feeling that when you were doing this meditation, if you um, the, in the beginning of the podcast we did this tiny part of the meditation, there you can discover your own call it virtual reality in your mind or um, as the practice progresses you'll be able to discover because the pain you know we're all suffering at some points right we are suffering that's why we are striving if we are not suffering then we are content and there is no more strive so suffering is not I don't take it as a awful thing because that gives us motivation to ask for things or you can just ask for things because you're working on your evolving consciousness. That's also possible. It depends on how you look at it. Um, it's not necessary to suffer. I, I, I do agree with a lot of Buddhists on this, that it's not necessary to suffer. But it's not by taking away the desire. Because desires gives us motivation. So if we take away all desires, then... Um, Maybe we are evolved, but it's not living in uh, the reality that surrounds us. So there is a choice there. Either we can take ourselves out of it, then you're kind of in the yogi sense, um, you know, householder. Not a householder, you are a real yogi or or a, a caveman in Tibet, there's lots of people who are meditating in the caves in Tibet. Um, Not so sure about those extraordinary powers people talk about, but maybe it's true, maybe it's not. I haven't seen it with my eyes yet, but uh, it could be true. People do feats of amazing colds, like in a cold cave, you make yourself warm. You hear about the Iceman, Wim Hof. He's from the Netherlands, and he summited Mount Everest in just shorts. Just shorts. No shoes, no shirt. Just shorts. No, I didn't hear about this. Yeah, well, look it up when you yeah, have the chance, but it's, it's fascinating. There's a 30-minute documentary you can look up on YouTube by Vice, and it's incredible. I'll have to look Because that up. he not only does it himself, but... Teaches other people. Uh, teaches other people, and scientists are, uh, are um, studying this, uh, the Wim Hof method is what it's called. Mm. But... Uh, yeah. That's fascinating. I didn't know that. See, I learned something new. So thank you for having me <laughs> on the podcast. Yeah, it's so, my pleasure. This yeah. is what it's all about. Thank you again.